Thanks, Blake. Um, hey, so it's lip sync night, we know, we know. Um, and so it's going to just be a little more informal and casual. We're glad you came. Scoot in if you want, I mean, you know, if you feel like you're way in the back or if you'd rather not, if you'd like to sneak out because I really can't see the last half of the room, go ahead. Um, so I was thinking, you don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you had a first date this week. Maybe one person in the back that I heard laugh. But um, you ever you think that anybody took a first date to lip sync tonight? Because I was thinking if they did, how awkward that might be. Or maybe it would be awkward for me. Because what do you do when, was it 13,000 people show up? Something like that, right? And um, so, like, people perform and they do their lip sync thing. And then you probably turn to them and go, wow, that was really good. And then the next people go, and then, you know, and, and then, then you probably turn to them in between the songs. I don't know how much time there is in between songs, but you go, oh, that one was really good, too. And, you know, it's, not a, it's probably not a good first date. So um, I asked some of our students that, uh, that get together before the house about some things not to do on a first date. So um, here were a few of them that came up. Um, Ladies, you probably don't want to talk about baby names on a first date, okay? That's one. Um, guys, you don't want to be checking your fantasy football um, team a while on your phone on a date. Um, let's see. Uh, you don't want to split the check. Don't split the check down to the penny either. I had a college roommate that kind of did that. Um, and here's another one that actually ties into tonight. Um, I would not take a first date to a wedding, right? Because that's, you know, pretty, pretty bold. Um, but the, the scripture for tonight um, actually was given to me by a girl I dated in high school. I didn't, I didn't come to know even who Jesus was until I was like 16 and, and my you know, we were dating, right? We, were, we started that relationship, like, right before leaving for college, which is another not smart thing to do. I went to school in California, and she went to school, I think, in Ohio or something, and we dated, like, a month before we left. But she gave me this Bible, and, um, and anyway, um, I want to read the scripture from it, and then I'll tell you another story about a Bible. Um, all right, so this is John chapter 2. As, as Riley said earlier, we've been doing this whole... I'm going to put the popcorn down. Let's be serious, you know. Um, I'm like trying to eat and talk. Not good. It's kind of rude. Um, and uh, so we've been doing this series, and this is, this is probably one of the more popular um, miracle stories because it's the very first one in the Gospel of John. And uh, so here we go. We're going to go with John chapter 2. Verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, 
each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana at Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Um, I'll tell you the story about the Bible first. So it was kind of bold for Stephanie, that was her name, Stephanie Hackman, um, who we'd, we'd been dating a little bit to give me a Bible. You know, that's kind of like the super spiritual thing to do when you're dating. But ironically, um, Kelsey, my wife, and I started dating um, about two months before her birthday. And um, so what do you get two months into a relationship when the birthday's coming up? And to make matters worse, her birthday's 10 days before Christmas, okay? So you kind of have to do like double up, you know, or, or something like that. And you're not quite sure um, how the relationship's going and all that kind of stuff after two months. So she had mentioned, and I wasn't sure if she did this because I was in ministry at the time. She's like, oh, I'd really like a study Bible. So I got her a leather-bound study Bible because that's what, you know, pastor types do. But check this out. So when Stephanie um, gave this Bible to me, she had my name engraved on it. I decided to get her name engraved on it, but just her first name. Anybody know what I was doing there? Yeah. Just the first name. You know, so you can write that one down. Um, yeah, she, later in the relationship, she goes, now wait a minute. Uh, anyway, so... But here's the thing, so you don't, you don't take your first date to a wedding, but here's the crazy thing, here's the absolutely crazy thing about God. He decided that the first date with the world would be a wedding. That's where Jesus decided to show who he was to the world, it was at a wedding. Now... I want to talk about this story, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what this might mean for us. But, you know, the Gospel of John is this marvelous story of Jesus coming to earth, some of the songs that we've sung about here, and his, his love having come down to bless us. And there's a lot of wedding imagery that I just want to unpack for you really quickly. Um, and when the John the Baptist, who is one of the first characters in the Gospel of John, comes, and John the Baptist was the one who kind of paved the way for Jesus. He was actually Jesus' cousin, and he began to prepare people to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. Okay? But he attracted such a huge crowd that all the religious leaders went out to him and said, well, wait a minute, are you the one that we've all been expecting? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus, or John said, no, 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 no. And then finally, there was this line in there that I'll explain in a minute. But he says, 
there's one that's coming after me. The thong of his sandals I am not worthy to untie. Okay? His, the strap of his sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Now, that often gets, it, it is a sign of like humility. But in the scriptures, when you loose the, the thong, or the strap, I know when I say that word, you're thinking of something else. So the strap of the sandal, the strap of the sandal, you, you loosed it. It was a way of pledging yourself in marriage. So John, in, in some ways, is setting the tone that a bridegroom is coming, a groom for the wedding is coming. No, wait, there's more, okay? Um, for two chapters later, two chapters later, you may know the story of, of Jesus and the woman at the well. He is, it's hot in the middle of the day. He sits down to have something to drink, and this woman comes. He sends his disciples out into the town to, to, to get food, and this woman comes, and he begins to have a conversation with her, asking her for water. And it goes on and on and on, and the point that I'm, you know, there's, you can go and read it in John chapter 4. But at one point, Jesus says to the woman and says, you have had five husbands, and the one that you are living with now is not your husband. And this woman has been put in shame again and again and again. Now, whenever numbers are listed in the Bible, there's usually deep, deep meaning behind it. The woman had five husbands, and a sixth was not her husband. And the man that she was talking to was the seventh. 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 If you know anything about, if you know anything about numbers in the Bible, seven is the number of completeness. And all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the scriptures, is this, this emphasis that God is going to have a wedding for his people. Okay? And so here is Jesus entering in the scene at a wedding. Now, I owe some of this interpretation to a guy named Tim Keller, who is a pastor up in Manhattan, but he has this marvelous sermon where he especially helps interpret this strange conversation between Jesus' mother and Jesus. When Mary, mother of Jesus, goes to Jesus and says, hey, they've run out of wine. And he says, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come which we look at and go, that was kind of rude to talk to your mom that way. And, and what, it, what, is, uh, what, what, what are you saying? My time has not yet come. And Keller has this marvelous thing that Jesus is here witnessing a wedding, witnessing this marvelous celebration. And by the way, one of my best friends growing up was an Orthodox Jew, and I got to go to his wedding about 10 years ago. And has anybody in here ever been to a Jewish wedding? It is one of the, it, it puts, frankly, Christian weddings to shame. It is usually one week long. One week long. There is drinking, there is dancing, there is food, and then you go to sleep and there's drinking and there's dancing and there's food, and then you go to sleep and there's drinking and dancing and food. So this, this might have been on the first day of the wedding, might have been towards the last. But 
what is amazing is that Jesus is here witnessing this wedding. And as we unpack the rest of the scriptures, at the book of Revelation, we learn that one day people will come from north and south and east and west and sit at a table at the wedding feast of the Lamb of God, who is Jesus himself. And the way that Keller interprets that question is that Jesus might have been at this wedding celebrating with everyone else, but thinking, thinking about the wedding that was to come. And so when Mary comes and interrupts him, you can see that his mind might have been somewhere else, saying, my time has not yet come. But then Mary must know her son because she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, Jesus tells the servants, six enormous jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. I kind of wanted to get, I, I did recycling today at, at, with my family, and, and uh, I wanted to get gallon milk jugs to put 180 gallons up here so we could see that. Now, think for a moment how much wine that is. I mean, an in, incredible amount. And it helps you understand that if it was towards the, the beginning of the, the wedding feast and the wedding celebration, 180 gallons... Uh, might be able to last for a week. I don't know. I don't know how many people were there or whatever, but what's cool is that six jars, it's like the number right before the number of completion, as if John was wanting to say, there is still something to come. And what's amazing about this is that we have this detail that it's a jar that's used for ceremonial washing. As it says in the scriptures that, that the Jews used to cleanse themselves with this water before going to worship. And Jesus turns it into wine to keep the celebration going and going and going. Now, for those of us that are on the other side of the cross in Easter morning, we know that wine represents something, don't we? If you've ever been in church and you you, you take the bread and you take the cup and the wine represents Jesus' blood. And what's amazing about this story is that this water, which the Jews used to use to, to cleanse themselves, Jesus turns into something that he will cleanse his people with. As if he was saying, you don't have to wash anymore. I will be the one that washes away everything. It's an amazing picture. There's much more in here than just a magic trick of something that used to be a clear liquid and now it's wine. And there's detail after detail, the masters of the ceremony, which is the equivalent of the wedding coordinator. These were people that were hired by a couple to, um, to coordinate all the wedding, the feast, the dancing, you know, all that kind of stuff. They were like the DJ, the wedding coordinator, the flower person, all rolled into one. The caterer, all rolled into one. And they were in charge of making sure that everything was going smoothly. And so everything went through them like a really over-controlling wedding coordinator. So when the servants bring them, brings to this master of the ceremony, this, this water turned into wine, he remarks that the usual tradition, the, I got popcorn coming out of my mouth, the, the usual tradition 
of a wedding is to bring out the cheap wine, the cheap wine when everybody is drunk because you can't tell anymore. But this master of the ceremony notices that there's something different. The best has been saved to last. How can we not hear the message in this? The best has been saved until last. Jesus is the best saved until last. His life represents that wine that causes us to celebrate again and again. Now, that's the, the kind of the overarching background of this story. So what does that have to do with us? What are some ways that this applies in our lives? Well, I want to make a, just a really clear question to you all. How many of you feel like by being a follower of Jesus, believer in God, that you're missing out on a lot of fun stuff? Like, Let's look around for a minute, right? And there's 12 to 13,000 people in an arena, right? And I know I'm not as entertaining as that. But how, how many of us struggle with this idea that to follow Jesus, to be a believer in God, means to toe this straight line and never have any fun? I think that that's something that has been identified with all of us. Not many people are looking to college ministries to plan their parties. But what does this story tell us? That Jesus, Jesus revealed who he was at a party. In fact, where most people would have to shut the party down, he kept it going. What does that reveal about the character and the heart of God that might change the way that we think about what he expects of us? Let's be honest. As followers of Christ, we are not known in our world for being people who celebrate well. We're more known for being people that, that obey rules and say no and stand against things. That's not who Jesus revealed himself to be. Yes, for those of you that are sitting there going, oh, we can do whatever we want now. No. Of course Jesus set some parameters around his followers. But too often I think that we're always the people that focus on those parameters and those boundaries and forget that the very first miracle was excessive alcohol at a wedding. Yes, I know that sounds offensive, but it's the truth. Now, public service announcement. The campus minister of the house did not just endorse excessive drinking, okay? <laughs> I do not want to show up in the front, line, front page of the UTC Echo or anything like that, okay? Not that many people read that as a source of news, but... Um, but think about how much we have changed what Jesus is about or what even we as his followers are about. That this picture here given in John chapter 2 is so radically different than what we're known for. You know, when 
I have told a portion of my testimony before here, I think at the very first Tuesday, but it's, a, it's relevant here that, you know, when this girl I was dating in high school that was my ex-girlfriend when I asked her this question, but um, I didn't know how somebody became a Christian. And on the telephone, I remember thinking when I asked her the question, how does somebody become a Christian? That it had to do with going to a church and sitting in front of a group of religious people, having them ask me questions and responding in the right way. I don't know where I picked that up because I had never been in church or never been around things, but already I had this impression that following Jesus, being a Christian, was about knowing the right things and doing the right things. We all know that it's not like that, right? We all know that it's about a relationship. We all know that, that, that Jesus has invited us into something far greater than something that we know in our head. But how many of us, like most of you, spend your time in a classroom on the university campus where someone is dumping information into you and you're forced to spit it back out? How many of us have begun to treat our following of Jesus in just the same way? We come to something like this, somebody gets up, speaks, you get some information, you go back home, and then maybe someday, if you can even remember what the, the person said, you'll spit it back out in some way. You see, following Jesus is not about taking notes in a classroom. We have been invited to a wedding. We've been invited to a wedding. So my prayer is that we would rediscover rediscover the fact that the lord that we call savior and lord showed who he was at a wedding and is still inviting us today to join him and to celebrate we don't live our lives of following jesus in a classroom we live it as if we've been invited to a wedding. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the story we looked at tonight was the first place, the first place that Jesus showed that he came from you. This isn't just his heart, it's yours. The father who welcomed home the son, the prodigal son, as we know that story, a lot of us, and through a party, you told stories about a lost sheep and a party, a widow who lost a coin and a party, and here you are, at a wedding in a little town showing that this is the announcement of a celebration. Lord, I know that this week, this week with the busyness and the chaos of 
tests and papers and whatnot that the students here might find little cause to celebrate. But may you plant this seed within them. Plant this within them so that they know that you are a God not of the classroom expecting to know right answers but that you have invited them to join in the celebration of the wedding feast of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.